so we have started a series on radical surrender. Jesus is radical. And last week, we read a good chunk of the New Testament all in one, one message. And it was actually really refreshing. That's often how they did it. They would get the scrolls open and they would read it. And uh, so it was a really beautiful change of pace. Uh, but we went through Paul's letter to the Philippians, encouraging them really to live a life like Jesus did, to love one another, to bear with each other, to go after unity, and talked about how Jesus, he loves radically, he obeyed radically, he surrendered radically, served radically, gave radically. And uh, today we're going to talk about being radical servants. So we're going to talk out of John 13. But as I was uh, kind of preparing for this, it reminded me of when I was uh, 12 years old, we were on the hunt for uh, some youth pastors, and there was no one in our church really who was being raised up to do that. And at the time, uh, David Miner was walking with our church and with another, you know, several other churches, and uh, Sandy, of course, is still with us, and um, carrying on that legacy, keeping everyone in line. And uh, anyway, so Dave recommended a couple of guys who came down from Spokane, Washington, uh, Jason Liptek and Chuck Bourne, and one of them uh, is now the pastor, uh, lead pastor of the church that I grew up in. But when that happened, we started going up to Spokane for youth camp every summer. And in those days, Southwest was $39 flights away, so we didn't take a, a van, we just hopped on a flight and went. And uh, really, a lot of great memories. That's where I met my wife, Emily, um, when we were 12. We've known each other just a couple of years, been really good friends for a long time. But there were games at this, um, there were activities, of course, you know, you do stuff on the field. But right around uh, dinner time, they did these games that were questionable at best. They were uh, borderline abusive, maybe? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> There were things like, who could lip the whipped cream out of an armpit the fastest? Or they would, they would take these tubes and put eggs in them, and who could you know, blow it the hardest, and inevitably whoever gives up gets egg on their face. Uh, but maybe the worst was the game where they put peanut butter in toes. And it had to be licked out. You could not catch me dead doing, doing this game. Somehow they found people to do it every year. I don't really know. But anyway, this text isn't really about feet. Um, this, I'm really good at segues. But really, this text is a beautiful picture of what it is to be blessed. Because we live the way that Jesus taught us. So I'm going to jump into John 13, if you want to follow along. And uh, this is at the moment of the Last Supper, is what we call it today, because it was the Passover feast that took place, uh, we believe, just hours before uh, Jesus was arrested and sent to his death on the cross. So it says, it was just before the Passover feast... Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. 
Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. This is the culmination of everything, of all the law and the prophets. Here it comes. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Some translations say, share. You have no share in me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. I like his style. He wants more. Jesus answered, a person who has already had a bath needs only to, needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is already clean. And are you clean, though? And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. Then he had finished washing their feet. He put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Can someone uh, jump up here real quick and read the second half of the chapter? That way my uh, monotone voice won't put you to sleep. Anybody want to jump up real quick? Why don't you read here? You can come read a paragraph, okay? Come up here. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son of Son in him. My children, I will be with And will glorify him at once. And will glorify him at once. Great job. Thank you. Can I get someone else to come and read? Come on, someone's got one. I'm going to start calling on people. Yes, Pam Shream. Uh, right in 33. Okay, 33. Here we go. Okay. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you, know, you cannot come. So now I say to you, so now I say to you, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Keep going? Yeah. All right. 
Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, can, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Wow. Thank you, Pamela. Can we give her a hand? All right, so let me just kind of, it wasn't maybe all evident in there, but I'm going to set kind of the context for what's going on. So these are Jesus' last moments, and typically from every movie you've ever seen, in the last moments of someone's life, they know it's imminent, they invite people in close, and they're going to tell them or show them or impart something that is very important. So his public ministry is done. He's now just with his disciples whom he loves, and he loved to the end. And still to this moment, the disciples misunderstand what the kingdom of God is. They still to this moment think they're going to overthrow uh, the oppressors, the Roman Empire that they had been under. And they're not quite getting it. And they're still arguing about who's going to be the greatest and who's going to sit with him when he then takes his throne in this new kingdom, this new world order that they're expecting. And Jesus, as it mentioned there, you call me teacher, you call me Lord, he's a rabbi. And without going too deep into that, simply a teacher. And in the time, the way that teaching worked is they would follow. That's what disciple means. He had followers. And they would follow him literally everywhere. And they would learn by example. So he would... If, if he was going to teach him how to make a fire, they would make a fire with him, and he would show them. And that is the, the context and the picture that we see of this. So I just want to say, along with that, that if you believe in Jesus and you are attempting to follow him, this passage is just as much for you as it was for the 12 there in the room with him. And another thing that we see, of course, is that this kingdom, which they still misunderstood, and I think sometimes we do too. It was an incredible way that uh, Travis Arnold, who joined us several weeks ago, kind of unpacked what does it look like to have the kingdom come? What does that mean? And um, we still are trying to figure it out, to seeking the heart of God in that way. But everything in the kingdom is paradoxical, right? You want to live, then you must lose your life. You want to go high, you actually need to go lower. And Jesus is modeling that here. Um, so in Matthew 18, and um, they had been arguing about uh, who's going to be the greatest, same thing. You see that in Luke 22, um, accounting the same story, where they just there's a, a pride at stake here, an ego at stake. So Jesus sets out here to show them what it means to be great. And I can't help but think he might have been just a little bit bummed, though grateful for the opportunity to show them this, because he had been looking forward to this, his last meal. Um, he was looking forward to the Passover, and yet there's so much tension going on. He knows that his hour is near. He knows that he's going to be betrayed. 
He knows, uh, based on scripture, that all of the disciples, every single one of them, is going to abandon them, abandon him. And um, it's his hour of need. And to make matters worse or better, I'm not sure, he, he knew. It says right at the top of John 13 uh, that had come. Let me find it here, I'm sorry. He knew that all things had been put under his authority. We'll get back to that. Um, so he knows that at just a word, he can command angels to take away this pain, but he knew that it was the Father's will that he go through this. So his approach, you might say, was radical, completely subversive. It messed with them. It didn't make sense. It didn't fit into their systems and their way of thinking. It was scandalous, really. So what do we see? We see Jesus deals with status and serving, and we'll get into that in just a minute. He deals with our need for cleansing, and he models how we're supposed to love one another in spite of offense and betrayal. So uh, he stooped, even knowing that he had all authority in verse 3, and he stooped low. There's a song, uh, some of you might remember, a gal by the name of Misty Edwards, worship leader uh, from Kansas City, IHOP, and it says, it's the inside outside, upside-down kingdom where you lose to gain and you live to die. Again, this is what he's showing. And this is how you should serve each other. So in verses 12 through 17, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he said, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And here's the thing. If you're unwilling to lower yourself, through offense, unwilling to lower yourself below your status and what you deserve and what you've earned, you're saying you're greater than Jesus. The student is not greater than the teacher, nor the messenger greater than the one who sent him. And so this is what he's pointing out to them. He goes to, now, washing the feet for context A lot of us think, well, Peter Gross, and I'm going to agree with you on that. Um, I'd rather not go through that process. I don't like people washing my feet either. Um, And the context, of course, of the day was that they walked everywhere, uh, and they had sandals, and you would walk down dirt roads, maybe some cobblestone streets, um, where animals passed through. So you'd be walking through animal dung and other things. And the way that they sat at tables was essentially on kind of couches, like daybed kind of things that they would lay on. Kind of gross to have that. But this particular task was reserved for the nobodies. Not even Jewish slaves would do this task. It was too low 
for even those slaves. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Like, if you want to be great, this is how you do it. You get down. You, you take the most humbling place that you can, and you serve. So, I guess the question is, what does that mean for us today? There are some religious traditions that still wash feet on a weekly basis. So as part of their worship service, they'll actually have basins of water and they'll serve each other in that way. And I think it's beautiful, and in some ways it would be like a prophetic act, um, is how we might look at that. I don't think, based on what we see in the New Testament church, that that was what he was trying to set a precedent for, that we would always wash each other's feet. He's talking about the posture of our hearts. He's talking about how we approach each other. He's talking about what we do with our status and our ego, our position, our rank, that we would serve without regard for ourselves. Paul talks about this a little bit in Romans 12. He says, don't think of yourself more highly than you should. Now, he doesn't say, think of yourself as a scum, scumbag or, you know, a dirtbag, whatever. He, he just says, be sober-minded about it. Think of yourself with the grace that God has given you. Think of yourself through that lens. And then um, in Philippians, we read last week. I'm going to read it again. If I can find it. Be patient with me, if you would. Uh, In Philippians 2, you don't have to go there, but but you're welcome if you want. Verse 5. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So, we see this example where he's washing the feet, and I don't think it really quite rings home that he has always been, before time, before creation, on the throne, high and lifted up, exalted, angels singing, holy, holy, holy. And he humbled himself to come and to get in the dirt with you and I. And um, I thank God for the revelation that I have of that, but I still, I still can't comprehend. And... In this model, I just want to encourage us, perhaps you fall into the category of well-off, meaning you have a comfortable living, you have a healthy family, a good community of friends. Things are not too uncomfortable for you, and you've earned what you have. And you've worked hard for it, and that's my status, and that's how I'm going to live. And I just want to caution those of you who are in that category against entitlement. Um, It's so easy to fall into that and think, well, you know, I will just write a check. 
that's how I'm going to serve the Lord. And there's nothing wrong with that. Please do that. <laughs> but listen, no matter who you are, doesn't matter if you're the President of the United States or a janitor at McDonald's. Serve. That is the call to every single one of us. Some of you might fall into a totally different category where you find yourself in poverty and constant ailment and struggle and you need healing. You, don't ha- you never have enough to make ends meet. And I want to caution you against actually the same trap of entitlement. Because sometimes when we get in that, we think, well, I can't serve. I don't have what it takes. I don't have any money. I don't have the ability to go out and do it. And we see Jesus saying, even a cup of cold water for my little ones, and you'll be rewarded for that. So the, the antidote for that situation, too, is serve. He didn't say that, he didn't point this passage, this message to his disciples at one group of people. No, if you follow him, it means you're going to get down and you're going to serve. If you want to be great, be the least. And I do want to just draw attention to humility is not only seen uh, in how you serve, it's actually seen in allowing others to serve you too. And I know that there's a good chunk of us in the room who struggle with this. Um, But really, pride is the barrier to both. Pride is the barrier to letting go of ego and status. Pride is the barrier to allowing others to serve you as well. Because it requires vulnerability. requires letting people in. And if we're going to model what he said we need to model to practice his example that he gave us, you serve and you are served. Jesus was no stranger to being served. I mean, after all, he sent some of the disciples to go set up the the feast and prepare it for him. After all, he was at the table as well. So uh, I just want to, let's not miss that. Let's be radical servants and let's allow each other the blessing of being radical servants in our lives as well. There's another dynamic that's going on here that is also beautiful, and this is the washing that Jesus is doing, which, knowing Jesus, he's got a trick up his sleeve, and he's not really talking about a bath. I think, if I read it correctly. So in verse 6, came to Simon Peter, said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing. Meaning, I'm not just washing your feet. Hint, hint. But later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me, or you have no share with me. Then Lord, uh, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. He says, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. If you have accepted the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life and you're following him, you've been washed. The work of justification was done on the cross. And this is really what he's saying to Peter. 
You, you are clean. You are clean. But we have a tendency to get the muck and the things on our feet, and we need to continually come back to Jesus and allow him to do the work of cleansing and the washing of our feet. It represents an ongoing work of forgiveness in our life. I, um, for, Emma, my daughter, has been asking for a pet for a long time. So it's gone from bunnies to horses to cats, just all kinds of things. And my answer is always the same, no. Um, We don't need another pet. We've already got a dog, and that keeps our hands pretty full. But she somehow weaseled her way into finding out that the one thing I would be okay with would be a hedgehog. Because they're, they're very low maintenance. They're easy. They don't really like people that much. They just want to kind of recluse into their cage. And so, Christmas Eve, I went and picked up a hedgehog. From, can you believe they have hedgehog breeders? It's wild. But there are several around here. So I went and picked up a hedgehog, and she got it for Christmas. And what we learned is that they poop a lot. And we have this wheel in the cage, and what they do is they run, and they poop. And what happens? Sure enough, it's all over their feet. And so what we learned is this thing called a foot bath, not too different than what's going on here. And every day, it's Emma's responsibility to wake up in the morning, get her up, you know, draw the bath, put her in there, and she just walks around and gets her feet clean, and it's good as new. And honestly, I mean, I know that's a little bit silly, but this is what's happening. We, get, we, we deal with stuff. We walk through sin. Sin does separate, but he's saying, come. Come. And sin really, uh, one of the more common known definitions is to miss the mark. Uh, another tr- uh, commentary puts it, to feel that you don't have a share. So Jesus is saying, if you want to share in me, if you want to abide in me, come and let me wash. And not only that, do that for others as well. Yeah. And I just I want to acknowledge some of you today are feeling under the intense weight of shame. And um, you know, Simon earlier, he was he was in the boat, they weren't catching any fish. Jesus says, cast your net on the other side. He throws it over and full of fish, and he realized, it's like the disciples had these moments over and over again where they finally realized that, oh, he is the Messiah. He actually is Jesus, the one that was prophesied. And this is a moment where this happens for Peter, and he says, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. But Jesus says, come. And I just want to tell you, for those of you struggling with shame this morning, Jesus comes to wash your feet. He is here to wash your feet. Some of you are walking in self-sufficiency. Like you don't need his daily forgiveness. The work of the cross in your life. You'll never wash my feet, Lord, no. Jesus comes to wash you, too. So daily come to the waters. And here's kind of coming down to the, the crux of all this. Being radical servants, allowing Jesus to wash is that he's saying, model what I'm doing. So what does that mean? Jesus already knew that they were going to abandon him. 
he already knew Jesus had agreed to betray him. And he washed anyway. How many of us do that? I struggle with that. You've offended me. You've hurt me. Your theology is wacko. You watch CNN. CNN you watch Fox News. Ah, uh, get away from me. We struggle with this. Jesus, his heart, I have to believe, was broken. He was in agony. Just hours later, he's in the garden, knowing of his betrayal, saying, God, can you take this from me? And they can't even stay awake. He's in, it's brutal, agonizing. Says that he was sweating like blood, drops like blood. And some scholars would say it was blood. That's a condition where you're such, under such severe stress that blood actually comes out of your pores. I don't know. I just know that he was in anguish. And yet he, in spite of that, loved anyway. Think of James 3. He's talking about, you know, you praise with your mouth. You're praising God with your mouth like we just did this morning, many of us. And then... You turn around and you curse someone with the same tongue. You can't have fresh water and salt water coming from the same spring. It doesn't work. So we have to follow this this model. And I just want to suggest that one of the quickest ways to break resentment and bitterness is to love like Jesus says to love. So the picture of unity that we walk in is in uh, verse 34 and 35. We've talked about this a lot in these walls. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Um... In Luke, it's accounting the same story. And it says, Also a dispute rose among them, to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, Kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. They want to be great. They need status. Those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not, is it not I? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me. I'm going to read that again because I messed it up a little bit. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves? So he's saying, well, of course, the one at the table is more important than the one serving. But he says, no, no, no again, in his subversive way that he always does, 
says, I'm the one who serves. And here's the deal. We've, we've had this table, the Lord's table, kind of central to our gatherings. And we say over and over, last year kind of our theme was uh, that people would come taste and see that the Lord is good. And if we want to see people live their identity and purpose in Christ, then we have to get down and serve. We have to cover in love and not allow um, offense to get in the way of unity. And um, there's just a few of these that are, that are going to show behind me to kind of draw your attention to what radical servanthood looks like. That we would give our seat a place of honor, our dignity, our status, our ego, away, our chair, get low and serve and invite those who need to know Jesus to come taste and see that he is good. It is not, doesn't matter what political persuasion you have, it's not about that. Doesn't matter what denomination you've been a part of, doesn't matter if their life has been in complete turmoil, it doesn't matter. Our call is the same. There's no qualifiers. It's simply that we serve. So if the ushers want to come up and begin to pass out communion, praise team, you can come up as well. Um, All of this was said in the context of uh, communion, of breaking bread, that was Jesus' broken body of drinking the cup, which was Jesus' blood. And we're going to do that here in just a moment, acknowledging that in ourselves, we don't get this right. We never do. But by the grace of God, and through his example, and through his finished work on the cross, giving his body and his blood for us, we can do this, and we can be radical servants. I just feel like there's a a call today to um, to just give your yes to God. I'm not sure exactly how this message might have hit you, if it did at all, but right now what I pray, regardless, is that you would open up your heart, your mind, to allow him to speak and to call you, that he would allow you... Do we have that music sheet up here with the lyrics? about to sing this song, Send Me, and it's, if it's bandaging the broken or washing filthy feet, here I am, Lord, send me. If it's loving one another even when we don't agree, here I am, Lord, send me. If I'm poor or if I'm wealthy, I'll serve you just the same.
Here I am, Lord, send me. On the mountain or the valley, I will choose to praise. Here I am, send me. If I'm known by how I love, as Jesus said we would be as followers of him, let my life reflect how much I love you. And before you even ask, oh, my answer will be yes, because I love you. There's a call today to just to go low, to go low, to set your step aside and go low. There's a call to be washed today. And you might not know him at all. You might not have grown up in the church. Maybe you did, and you, you're not sure about all of this. And I just want to say to you, the call is come and be washed. Come and be clean. He loves you. He is for you. He is not against you. And as we take the bread and the cup, we're receiving that. We're saying we believe that you've come to cleanse us. Believe that you've come to serve us. And we want to do the same. So as we do this, God, you know what I'm going to do? We're going we're gonna to sing this, and I'm going to have you take this as you feel like you're supposed to. So um, feel free to sing with the song. Feel free to let it wash over you. And when you feel kind of the unction or just that nudge to do this, do it, but do it thoughtfully. And do it with a commitment like Jesus served go low and to love one another as Jesus loves us.